Hi, everybody. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And welcome to June. We're almost in our mutual cancer season, so we're both excited. But to get the month started, we'll be talking about one of our favorite actresses, and that's Jane Fonda. So I'm excited to talk about two movies that also double as a can part two episode and a little duo between Jane Fonda and Bruce Stern. So these two movies we'll be talking about are for They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Jane's first Oscar nomination. And then Coming Home, which was her second Oscar win. So I think it'll be interesting to talk about how she matured over this almost decade between the films and just her career in general. Because, yes, we love Jane Fonda. Love Jane Fonda. And these two movies are both, I think, fascinating entries in her filmography, especially because of how they really show who she was becoming politically at each point in her career. And, I mean, coming home especially, that was sort of the resurgence and rehabilitation of Jane Fonda's reputation in a way. But they shoot horses, don't they? I mean, what a movie. (laughs) We will get into it. But I think this was really her step up when it came to dramatic roles. And like we talked about at the end of last week's episode, we are not talking about Clute, her first Best Actress winning performance. Go listen to our 1971 Oscar Rewind, where I chose Clute as my movie to talk about in that episode. So yeah, I absolutely love Jane. I think she's singular. And not just one of my favorite actresses, but one of, I think, my key role models in my life. She's one of my favorite people who I've never met before. Yeah, her filmography stands alone, but her character is just something that we don't see anymore. She was in the press a lot, I think during COVID or what, for being arrested all the time for protesting Mm -hmm. and demonstrating Because that's who she is as a person. And that's really exciting to see, especially from Hollywood. And, you know, it kind of goes into this really dark metaphor in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? For that same exact reason. So I think Jane Fonda being such an important role model through the 60s into the 70s and then afterwards, it is really inspiring. And to hear you say that about how she influenced you is also really telling. Well, she, you know how hard I am on celebrities who don't speak up because I firmly believe that if you are a person who has a platform and the ability to influence people and money to spend, you should be doing that. You should be out there speaking out about what's going on in the world. People from so many marginalized groups are constantly under attack and it's so hard for me to see some of the biggest stars in the world, just silent. I'm not going to mention the one who grinds my gears. You know who it is. That's not what this episode is about today. But Jane's political activism is a huge part of the reason why, yeah, like you said, she has been one of my role models. And I think the way that she infuses her political activism into some of her roles at this time is so interesting. And it just shows that You know, especially with coming home, you know, after the scandal with Hanoi Jane and her being in Vietnam and people hating her for that, she saw an opportunity to not be a person who was likable just for the sake of being likable or getting attention, but 
she wanted to be a person who people liked and because of that they would be more understanding of her political stances and would want to join her. I also think, though, it's important that she's not fully an open book with her life. I think she does keep aspects of her life private, but she has this wisdom to her. She's very vulnerable, but very sincere. She makes you want to know more, I think, because of what she is willing to share and how she is willing to speak out about what's important to her. And I think that's really the most important thing you can do if you have a platform and if you have influence. Yeah, and I think the way that she brings her personal life and her ideas, her ideologies into her films makes her that much more special. And you talking about not knowing her personal life, she was just so floored when Sidney Pollack asked her about her character and what she thought of the script for They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And so that, she said in her memoir, opened up so many doors and possibilities for who she could be on screen. And she was able to bring in her own life and how she was feeling about her own marriage into this role. And I think that's, again, really special. So let's get started with They Shoot Horses, Don't They? This is from 1969. Description here. In the midst of the Great Depression, manipulative MC Rocky enlists contestants for a dance marathon offering a $1,500 cash prize. Among them are a failed actress, a middle-aged sailor, a delusional blonde, and a pregnant girl. It's directed by Sidney Pollack. It stars Jane Fonda, Michael Sarazen, Gig Young, and Susanna York. This won one Oscar for Supporting Actor for Young and had eight other nominations for Director, Actress for Fonda, Supporting Actress for York, Adapted Screenplay, Film Editing, Art Direction, Set Decoration, Costume Design, and Music Score. And this holds the record for most Oscar nominations without a Best Picture nom, which is still crazy. Oh my god. I mean, first, just to start there, how was this not nominated for Best Picture? Especially just looking at the other movies nominated that year. So that year, Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture. We also had Anne of a Thousand Days, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Hello Dolly, and Z. There's room for... They shoot horses, don't they? Not only room, and I understand that Midnight Cowboy was revolutionary for its time too, but my God, I would have given They Shoot Horses the win. <laughs> I would have too, 100%. It's it's not particularly difficult either. I mean, I, I do love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, of course. I have a soft spot for that one. And I understand as well, you know, the, the importance and the influence of Midnight Cowboy, but this movie really floored me. I have been thinking about it for days since watching it. Just certain shots in the movie, specific scenes, the way Mm -hmm. that you feel so claustrophobic because you're in this enclosed space, the way that the camera moves or focuses on specific characters. I really was just floored by it. And I also think that Gig Young might be my favorite or at least at least top three favorite best supporting actor wins. He's so good in that Mm -hmm. role. It kind of makes sense, I think, historically, that this movie was able to get so many nominations but not secure as many wins because the ending of this movie, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think it's sort of impossible to talk about this movie without spoiling it and diving into the ending. This ending is bleak with a capital B. And for 1969, you know, as we're heading into the new Hollywood like we talked about with Bonnie and Clyde, audiences probably hadn't seen many 
American films with endings quite like that one. Yeah, to some extent, you're taken by surprise. But then also part of it is like you're thinking, okay, where is this title coming in? Is it a quote? How is the opening going to relate to this? Like the weird Mm -hmm. editing from the beginning that is so jarring that ends up being jarring at the end again. But it comes full circle. Like it hits you. It packs a punch. And yeah, I've been thinking about this constantly for so many reasons. There are just so many layers. There's the Hollywood aspect to this and how it's portraying that industry and how it spits people out and it doesn't care. Another just about the human condition and human nature and really making survivalism this spectacle. It is so fascinating on so many levels. And it also reminded me of this book that I read. It's called The Long Walk by Stephen King. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod before. I may have. I don't think on the pod, but it is familiar to me. I've read a lot of Stephen King, but I haven't read that is that a short story mm-hmm. it's an it was his first novel it might have been a short story at one point but it's about these hundred boys it's kind of hunger games-esque these boys are chosen to walk and there's this big prize at the end for the one person that survives but you have to keep moving the whole time and if you drop below a certain speed you die so by the end of this walk these boys are so changed that they don't even want to be alive they don't care about winning for what they've been through and that is just so present and creates such an ominous world in this film too because by the end we don't even wait to see who the winner is because that's not what it's become right we've morphed and evolved so much through this film that we understand that it's not you know a contest it's about surviving and figuring out who we are and seeing the darkest parts of existence it's a heavy film yeah, it's it's very heavy. I like that you brought up that Stephen King novel, too. I was thinking a lot about, you know, I watch a lot of reality TV. <laughs> I was thinking about some of that. Like, I got from Rocky, I felt similarities to, like, reality TV producers. So people who will embellish or, you know, will create situations with contestants on maybe a competition reality show or something like Love Island, where it actually really ends up affecting these people who are put in these situations for money or for love, in quotes, whatever they think they're going to get out of that experience. And it's something that people eagerly watch today, and they like the spectacle of it. And I also thought a lot about Squid Game, the recent Netflix phenomenon, and how a lot of wealthy people kind of missed the point of that show. I kept thinking like, well, Chrissy Teigen would have had a They Shoot Horses, Don't They Party if she lived in the 60s. Totally. (laughs) Just like missing the point entirely. But yeah, I think that the themes are incredibly relevant. And the fact also that, you know, those sorts of things, like you brought up the Hunger Games and Squid Game, those are not centered in reality. They feel very centered in this kind of like fantasy or dystopian reality. But these Mm. dance marathons actually happened. And in the Depression, in this time period, so many people found themselves participating in these dance marathons just so they could get some money and some food at the end of the day. And they really did last for 
weeks or months on end and just realizing that this is based on something that these people actually had to go through at the time and that you know people went to watch these like there were spectators and there were judges or MCs who were profiting off of these horrible things during that time it makes the film itself that much more harrowing and horrifying on a lighter note though I have to bring this up. Did the title sound familiar to you at all from any other thing in pop culture? I don't think so. Do you remember the dance marathon episode of Gilmore Girls? Oh, is that the reference? (laughs) Called They Shoot Gilmores, don't they? (laughs) Oh my god. Amazing. We have to bring up Gilmore Girls when it's relevant on the pod, so (laughs) this felt like a perfect opportunity. (laughs) Was it an actual dance marathon and they had like a winner? Yeah, it's a it's a great episode of the show, but like people come and watch. Fans of Gilmore Girls who are listening will be familiar with this episode, but it's a good episode for the Jess, the Jess fans, not the mm-hmm. Logan or the Dean fans. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Jane, I think, where she was in her career before they shoot horses, don't they? So she plays Gloria, and she's this woman who, she has this hardened exterior. She knows that life is working against her, but she still does this dance marathon anyway. And before They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Jane Fonda was sort of known as this cute sex symbol. Like, she did Barbarella. Um, She was in these light, breezy New York fantasy movies like Barefoot in the Park or Sunday in New York. And then They Shoot Horses, Don't They, I think is really a massive leap for her. If you look at the films earlier in her career, they are nothing like They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And the roles that she takes on are nothing like the role of Gloria. But this is perfect for Jane's skills as an actor. I think she feels like a real person as Gloria. Not in the way that we talk about, oh, they feel like a real person. They've transformed in this biopic star way you know but in a I wonder what this woman is thinking in that kind of way Mm -hmm. that is what always stands out to me about Jane Fonda is that I feel like there's something deeper going on for her underneath the surface and that's really hard to achieve as an actor it's similar I think to what Faye Dunaway does in her earlier works I actually think it's interesting to look at both of their filmographies and see like oh could Jane Fonda have done Chinatown? Could Faye Dunaway have done this movie? Like, Mm. you can, I think, switch them a little bit from time to time, and it would still work, which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think that this really is a perfect gateway role for Jane to move into these more dramatic roles. And I hadn't seen any of her previous works. So to see her in this, and this was a first time watch for me, it felt so effortless for her. Like, she has this natural charisma that I feel is unique for actors to have. And so this being her first big dramatic role, she just so easily stepped into those shoes. And I think that speaks to her as an actress. And I love that this is her first nom for that reason. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect first Best Actress nomination. The movie's fantastic. I mean, if I think if I had to pick a Jane Fonda movie, like the best Jane Fonda movie, I think I would pick this one. I love Clute. And I love some of her sillier ones, obviously, that come later. But this just feels so... I mean, it's a period film, which is interesting, right? It's a period film at the time, but it feels, in a way, still so, so relevant today. Like, nothing has changed. It's crazy that this and 
Clute come back to back because those two are absolutely my favorite Jane Fonda films. I also just love how we're introduced to Jane Fonda's character, Gloria. So she's really irritated with Alice. Susanna York's character just doesn't want to deal with her at all. And when she's talking to Ruby, James's pregnant wife, and she's just very blunt with her. Like, why are you bringing a child into this world with the way that things are right now? I was like, okay, Jane, we are going there. (laughs) (laughs) Because that, again, that's something that's still relevant today. I mean, you hear that argument Mm -hmm. all the time. It's a great introduction to her. But again, like she, even though she has these viewpoints and she's been through so much, like she's still here to compete for the money. Yeah, for the time that it's showing the Depression era, but then also in the 60s when the film is shot, and then also today. Any any year you watch this movie, it will be relevant, which I love. And with Ruby, the pregnant character, because especially in this sequence where they have to race, it's interesting how they set this scene up too, because when they start painting the lines, we have no idea what's happening, but all of the contestants do, which triggers like, oh, they've done this year after year, they've seen it before, mm-hmm. and it's like this like ominous constant drumming in the back of their head this like bad memory this nightmare but when they paint the lines and then they realize the walking is coming or the racing and the way that Pollock shoots Ruby is just so horrifying like I am worried every second that she's gonna lose the baby she's gonna die Mm -hmm. for how these people have to race and they don't want to come in last to get kicked out it is just terrifying let alone the scene where Jane has to carry the guy having a heart attack and dying on her back. Like, oh, God. (laughs) It's awful. The thing about the evil thing, I mean, there are many evil things about Rocky, is that when he starts to see that he's going to have to kind of take matters into his own hands to further exploit them, because, you know, otherwise they're just going to keep dancing. They're just going to keep competing for this money. He has to make it harder for them to win. And during that scene, I read that Sidney Pollock actually shot it on roller skates with a handheld, Mm. (laughs) which is so cool. It makes sense too. And it gives you again, that feeling like that you're just breaking with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's that very, it's a controlled chaos. Yeah. A lot of how this camera captures the people is why this film is, so jarring and emotional because the camera definitely gets more claustrophobic as you go on as we get these closer and closer shots of the contestants and we can see on their faces you know the makeup is part of that too and we see them more weathered as the movie goes on they're only getting 10 minute breaks every two hours which just sounds awful and yeah you mentioned this happening in real life and reading that these went on sometimes for six months is just insane it's horrific right it's exploiting a horrible situation and knowing that people are so desperate that they will do anything just for a little bit of money and again like with rocky he pushes it even further creating more drama for these people by taking one of alice's dresses and just creating this strife between everyone and the sense of confusion it's just so so cruel and i think again like the way that gig young plays this character he's an evil character but it's not he's not like a cartoon villain 
He's sort of a version of the Faye Dunaway. I know we keep bringing I keep bringing up Faye. I haven't left Mae Dunaway behind. The Diana Christensen character from Network of just creating chaos and preying on people's fears because it will create entertainment Mm -hmm. for spectators and will bring in more money or more attention. It's a person that we know all too well, again, still today. So I think he he captures that type of MC so well. Someone who is so charismatic, but is also just absolutely evil underneath it all. Yeah, I mean, there's small moments throughout when he interacts with the contestants. Like, in their quarters, when the one girl thinks she has, like, spiders all over her, and she's hallucinating, mm-hmm. and he just goes along with it and says, yes, you do. And then there's a later scene when... Alice is taking a shower with all of her clothes on and all of the women come in and they're like, she's not okay, obviously, but they bring Rocky back and they just have this look between them. Nothing happens. And so a Mm -hmm. lot, so much is said by how they interact. So yeah, this Rocky character is so cruel. The other part of it is it's his job to attract these audiences and to bring in the Hollywood elite. Mm -hmm. And so the contestants get sponsored by different companies or by that old woman who supports them. Oh my god. But then yeah. in the end <laughs> funny That was funny so character. chilling. When she like just there's something funny about her where oh this you think oh this is maybe a little bit of levity to this very dark movie, but then you think oh actually no, this is this is worse. That like there are mm-hmm. people who are just watching this and saying, "Oh, I want you to win." You know, "I I think you're so cute or I I support you." Oh, no. Yeah. Just it's leave so me scary. Alone. Mm -hmm. But this transforms, too, because Rocky, again, he has a conversation with Gloria and he says, well, you know, you get the 1500, but then, you know, we take out taxes and, you know, fees Mm -hmm. basically for living here for so long. She's like, wait, what? And he's like, no, it's only if you win. Don't worry. And the way that he manipulates them again, like they don't even get the full cash prize, which is why they're there. And he's making money. He's getting all these sponsorships. It's not like the costs of the venue aren't covered. You know, so it is this ever-present, slimy, capitalist venture that, you know, is just destroying these people. Yeah, it's it's so funny because the suggestion that, or the idea that Gloria should marry Robert for more money for publicity like what do we think of today with reality tv and things like that like contestants mm-hmm. get paid more if they go on cast trips if some, if a marriage happens for, on the bachelor or bachelorette it's like that brings in more viewers than if they weren't together for instance in the same way like if they have some big knockdown drag out fight that brings in more viewers too so it's just something again that has been it's a theme that is still relevant and this film tackles it in so many different ways throughout of all the different ways that people in power people with money can prey on really vulnerable desperate people but that scene you talked about with alice showering with her clothes on that is one of the darkest parts of the movie i just felt so down in that moment watching her because I think Susanna York is wonderful as Alice. I mean, there's so many great performances in this movie. I think the whole cast is really fantastic, top to bottom. But here in this scene, just the emptiness in her eyes. And she just looks so lost 
And she, I think, captures that character so well, especially as this character enters and she's, you know, very talkative, very chatty. It's why Gloria is sort of annoyed with her at first as she realizes certain things of hers are missing and she is still always very aware of, I would say, her situation. And then when you get to this part, it is just devastating. Yeah, by this moment, everything feels hopeless. They seem helpless. You start to realize that them making it this far, like nobody's a winner. You might Mm -hmm. win some money, but you are destroyed by the end. And I love how the bell for them to go on their breaks is a siren, is a police or ambulance siren that comes back in the very end when you actually see them show up after the big final moment. So it just becomes this almost Pavlovian response throughout the film. And it's just another chilling thing that Pollock added to make the ending stick with you. And the sound I started noticing as I was watching the film that when that siren would go off, I was startled. It works so well, too, because you sometimes, I think, forget also that they're at Santa Monica Pier, and you only mm-hmm. actually hear like the waves at certain key moments in the film when you know the other sounds are, dr- are drowned out, and you can actually hear those waves near the ending as a key example of this. But that siren is a, it's a perfect use of a sound effect, and it does elicit, I think, a similar response in the viewer that it does to the characters in the film by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think as far as Jane Fonda goes, though, this is one of my favorite performances of hers. The scene at the end of the film, when she is telling Robert that she doesn't want to live anymore, that she doesn't get anything out of this life, that she's done, that she's tired, I think that is one of the greatest scenes from her in her entire career. Yeah, she's able to sum up the entire film in one scene in a few emotions and glances. And we feel the dread that she feels and we understand all of it. It's it's painful, but it's real. And her acting here just absolutely blew me away. This film won Best Film at NBR and she won Best Actress at the New York Film Critics Circle. It premiered out of competition at Cannes, so she couldn't win there. But she lost the Best Actress Oscar to Maggie Smith for The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Kevin Jacobson, friend of the pod, brought this up on his show a few weeks ago. But it's a good watch with Tar. Hmm. Was this Maggie's first win? Yes. I think I would have voted for Jane, though, for Best Actress over Maggie. I know she ends up winning for Clue and for Coming Home, but I think she's just fabulous in this movie. I think it's a perfect performance. I agree. She's phenomenal. What's great about the movie is that it's not just a Jane Fonda film. It's a collaboration, but she definitely stands out as the key actor here. And yeah, I will watch The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, but as of now, I would have loved Jane winning. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be to Jane Fonda? Oh my gosh, it's so hard because I would give Jane Fonda Best Actress, but if I had to pick one, oh, like Gig Young is right there too. I love his performance, but I would actually go with Sidney Pollack for Best Director. I feel like the direction of this film is what stands out to me. I think it's a very audacious but controlled film, and the reason why it is still successful today is because of the direction. What about you? 
I'm in the same boat. I would love to give it to Sydney, but also Jane. Yeah, I think Pollock would edge out Jane just because I would come back to this movie happily for just the atmosphere that he creates. You know, it's gritty, but it's real. And I think it just captures so much of the moment of the human condition in one film, in one location. It's just so sharp. It really is. It will be years before I watch this movie again, though. I need a break. I need time away from it. It's so much. (laughs) Okay, let's get into 1978's Coming Home, Jane Fonda's second Best Actress win. Description here. The wife of a Marine serving in Vietnam, Sally Hyde, decides to volunteer at a local veteran's hospital to occupy her time. There she meets Luke Martin, a frustrated, wheelchair-bound vet who has become disillusioned with the war. Sally and Luke develop a friendship that soon turns into a romance. This was directed by Hal Ashby. It stars Jane Fonda, John Voight, Bruce Dern, and Penelope Milford. Jane Fonda won Best Actress. John Voight won Best Actor. And it also won Original Screenplay. It was nominated for five other Oscars, including Picture, Director for Ashby, Supporting Actress for Milford, Supporting Actor for Dern, and Film Editing. Some other wins here. John Voight had a really good season of precursors. He won at Cannes, New York Film Critics Circle, LA Film Critics Association, and the Golden Globe. And Jane Fonda also won at the Golden Globes and at the LA Film Critics Association. This was your first time watching Coming Home, right? What did you think of it? And what did you think of Jane as Sally Hyde? This was another first time watch for me. And I think Ashby is just so committed. He is like the most anti-war director I think we have, especially during the 70s. And we talked about the last detail briefly on our 1973 Oscar Rewind, Mm -hmm. more so with the actors than the film itself. But that movie is also anti-war and how it's portraying these vets. And that's what he's doing here, too. It's chilling in a different way than they shoot horses, Mm -hmm. but it's still that same feeling. And I think the way we get to see that through Sally instead of only the vets, especially if, you know, he had focused on Captain Bob, her husband, it would have been a totally different movie. And I think two on the nose, but I think getting to see Sally's transformation, again, a a wonderful Jane performance. I'm, we can talk about Oscars in a bit, but I was kind of surprised that she won for this. I think you mentioning in the beginning, you know, her personal life and who she was definitely added to this and Vietnam just ending. It kind of reminds me of the best years of our lives and how that one after the war relating to this and how people felt. And I think it sums it up so well in the end in Bob's confusion and his conflicting feelings about the war and about his service and how he became disabled through the war in a way. But I like all the performances, and we can talk about Voight, too, and how he did as Luke, because I think their relationship is really complex, too, and how it develops in the film. Yeah, definitely. I So I love Hal Ashby, but this one, for me, doesn't measure up to my favorite Ashbys. So like I love being there. I love Shampoo and Harold and Maude more than I love Coming Home. But what I do really like about this movie is what you mentioned, the best years of our lives. I think that I prefer war movies that actually focus on 
life back home. Surprise, surprise. I like when war movies are actually domestic dramas and not war movies on the battlefield. But the interesting thing about this is that this is also the year of the deer hunter. Have you seen the deer hunter? I love the deer hunter, but I do need to revisit. Interesting. Okay. So I am not a fan, which I think is probably surprising because people really love that movie. I find it Mm -hmm. a little inert, but that's you know, neither here nor there, but The Deer Hunter as a Vietnam movie is, I think, it's a nice contrast to Coming Home because that movie is like mm-hmm. if you actually just focused on the Bruce Dern character while he was away at war, or if you just focused on Luke and, you know, how he got his injury, that is much more like The Deer Hunter. And it makes sense, I think, that the Academy went for the deer hunter instead of coming home because it's a much harsher look at the war on paper but i actually like what coming home does instead of focusing on how the government just leaves these people hanging they don't have ways to adjust when they come home they don't have safety nets or support systems that can help them transition back from the war and that is something that Weiler, I think, explores better in the best years of our lives, for sure. But I like how it act- this movie actually focuses on Sally and Luke instead. That feels very progressive for a war movie. And it's also something that, for me as a viewer, that works to show me the horrors and atrocities of war far more than the actual violence on the battlefield does. Like showing them, Showing these vets back in situations like an overcrowded hospital or like trying to figure out like how to have sex again like these things that are much more like realistic parts of the human experience that devastates me more than seeing people fight on the battlefield or in the trenches Mm -hmm. platoon's another good one that was made later in the 80s about Mm -hmm. the vietnam war that one best picture too but yeah i think here again we have a more collaborative film where it's not just Jane's movie. I think it is more so than They Shoot Horses. But we have Sally, we have Luke, who we get to know really well. And then at the very end, Ashby brings it back to Captain Bob. So we kind of get different perspectives along the way of the war, how people feel about the war, and how people came through the Vietnam War on the other side. And part of that is also summed up in how we meet Luke or how Luke meets Sally Mm -hmm. he comes in and he's angry in this hospital he's strapped to a bed on his stomach looks like the most uncomfortable thing ever and his urine drainage bag like opens goes all over the place it gets all over Sally and it's this horrific moment it's also embarrassing for them for a purpose Because it's not only his reality now that he has to get used to, but it's also Sally's because she -hmm. wants to be independent. She wants to work or volunteer in this case. She wants to have her own life outside of Captain Bob and being his wife. Mm -hmm. So she has to come to the realization that this is reality. You know, this is how these people live. And that is where a lot of her protesting and demands come from and... That's part of what I like about this character so much is that she gets to have a voice and she's able to express that. 
Yeah, I like the introduction to his character, too, because it just, again, like, thrusts you into this very harsh world of the VA hospital and opens Sally's eyes right away to what her experiences are going to be like. But also, you know, at the beginning of the film, Jane Fonda has this, like, perfect 60s coiffed hair. It's, like, straight, and she looks so preppy California with her outfits and you start to see that fade as the film progresses and I I really like that so as she becomes more emboldened in this hospital and in her relationship with Luke you feel like she actually starts to become more of herself and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that I really like about the character and why I think that this is a really good role for Jane as well. And I like that she, you know, when her husband, Bob, leaves, you get the sense that he is really excited to go and sees this, you know, as a good opportunity for him. And even though she's in a decent relationship with her husband at the time, there doesn't seem to be a lot of love there or passion, at least. And the second he leaves, she sort of just finds a new life. I mean, she moves in with Vi, her friend, and it just feels like she's able to just kind of find herself. And I like the scene when she is talking to those other women about the conditions at the Mm -hmm. hospital, and she tries to persuade them to put something in their newsletter detailing the horrific conditions of this hospital and what these vets go through. And they just look at her blankly and Mm -hmm. i think that this also again shows that for jane fonda at the time this really was the perfect movie to rehabilitate her image for listeners i highly recommend watching the be kind rewind video about jane fonda's oscar win because she goes she talks a lot about her reputation at the time and how this movie came at such a wild time in her career you know after Hanoi Jane, when the press got that picture of her where it looked like she was on, she supported the North Vietnamese at the time. And Jane Fonda has been apologizing for this photo for years, but at the time she was sort of softly blacklisted and hadn't been in a Hollywood movie in in a few years at this point. So this movie coming out as a more, I would say, palatable form of political activism and also after Watergate really helped her, I think, rehabilitate her image and her career. But it's, yeah, it's interesting because it's, it just makes so much sense for activist Jane to be in a very appealing sort of political film where she's able to show how important certain issues were to her, but in a way that I think viewers could connect with. Yeah. If you just look back at Jane's filmography and see that she did this, it's like, okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. Not (laughs) knowing a lick of her personal life, like I wouldn't have known any different because I'm like, that's just who Jane is. That's what she does. Mm -hmm. She fights for people's rights and the film has its own stance on war, but being directed at disabled veterans, I don't think there are many films that really capture that perspective or even tackle that to this extent. So I think what they're all doing in service for these characters, while I'm not as high in the film either, I think it works and it's really effective. Yeah. And let's talk about John Boy a little because I think he's wonderful as Luke. He's really good in this movie. And 
you know, his current political stance, stance aside, he and Jane Fonda could not be more different in today's political climate and with their opinions. But I think, you know, yeah, putting, putting that aside for a second and just thinking about his performance in this movie, he really was the standout to me on the acting front. Seeing his anger come through, other times he has this very charismatic personality that I like that the character has so many different sides, but never feels like a contradiction. He feels very real to, you know, what a person who comes back from the war and has to deal with his life as a paraplegic man, what he would be like. It feels very, very realistic to me. And yeah, I think that he is sort of the emotional core of the movie. I hadn't seen a young John Voight, I don't think ever. So this was my first time. Oh, really? Yeah. And I really liked him here, too. And it's funny that you mentioned their political differences because they were friends at the time. And he got this movie because of Fonda, because mm. she she said he should be in it as well. And he was actually placed in the Captain Bob role first. And mm. John said, no, I want to play Luke for all of his complexities. I could maybe see it working, but I think Voight is able to show something a little bit more delicate and emotional versus Dern, but that also plays to his character as this captain and someone who's actively serving and wanting to continue on as a Marine and continue to go up in rank. So I think, yeah, definitely how it ended up totally works. I think so too. And I think it's more believable that we see... Bob, the Bruce Dern character, become hardened by the war and be the more conservative type in the military. I think that makes sense. And then you have John Voight, who he and Sally went to high school together. So you have to have that sort Mm -hmm. of like warmth to the character and like a, Mm -hmm. a feeling of nostalgia that's maybe there. And John Voight plays off of that so well. And what I do like about Ashby here is that he... He shows the horrors of war and he takes his political stance, but he also lets his characters be happy. He lets them have moments of happiness throughout the film. And I think that has a lot of power in a war film. And a thing about John Voight as well, that final scene where we have Luke speaking to all of those young men about what it was like in Vietnam. And then we see Bob getting ready to walk out into the ocean and die by suicide. Oof. It's just so that it's again, like the, the editing in, in Ashby films is always just stunning. It's perfect. But Voight improvised that speech. Jeez. That's incredible. And when he's speaking to them, you just, you really get the feeling that you again, like that this character that you've been getting to know this entire movie is exactly who he is and it makes it even more heartbreaking. So the fact that he delivered that after improvising it is is pretty crazy. Very impressive. Yeah, I think the ending of this film is spot on. I love where, I mean, it's awful, but where we leave the characters, it's so fitting, especially mm-hmm. with Bob, because, you know, he has this final scene where he finds out what Sally and Luke have been doing and he comes home and he's again, so ready to fight them. I mean, I would be too. It's just, you know, you go to fight in this war like you're doing your duty and service and you come home and your wife has cheated on you with this other veteran. But 
there are a few lines that he says that just sums up the movie so well. Luke says, maybe the enemy is the war, which, yes. But then Bob also goes, I don't belong in this house. And they're saying, I don't belong over there. And Sally asks, who's they? And he goes, the people that make the decisions about the war. And that just says everything about, you know, why we have wars. Are they worth fighting? What they do to the people who fight them? And again, the movie is showing us that, yes, we have hospitals for veterans, but are there benefits enough? Like getting to hear about these veteran stories and how they live afterwards are really jarring images. They're really different from beforehand when they're so excited to fight and defend their country and this is where they are now. It shows just as complex of a transformation in these characters as they shoot horses. I completely agree. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be to Jane? Oh, it's it's hard because I think that this is a really a good second Oscar for Jane, but the year in the year itself, this is a phenomenal Best Actress lineup. I just want to read through the nominees very quickly because I love them. I think it's a great, great year. But we have Jane Fonda winning for Coming Home, Ingrid Bergman for Autumn Sonata, who she is transcendent in that performance. It's just, it's a knockout. Ellen Burstyn in Same Time Next Year, Jill Clayburg in An Unmarried Woman, and Geraldine Page in Interiors. Have you seen Interiors? Mm-mm. I think it it might be nap time for you. It's a Woody Allen movie that's sort of a take on Bergman. It ends up feeling more like a Woody Allen movie than a Bergman movie, but I I think it might it might send you into a a deep sleep. But all this to say, my winner would be Jill Clayburg for An Unmarried Woman. I love that movie so much, and I think that what she does in the part it's one of my favorite actress performances. So if you haven't seen An Unmarried Woman. Check it out. It's on. It's in the Criterion Collection. It's a Paul Mazursky movie. So it's hard for me, I think, to pick Jane Fonda because she's not my winner of the year. I, I do like what this win did for her in her career and, and how it brought her back into Hollywood. And I do think she's really good in the movie, but I actually would give the edge to John Voight. I feel like he had my favorite performance in the movie. I really like the Luke character and he just has so many layers. What about you? I would also give it to Voight. I like that this is his one Oscar win. And yeah, I think it was really deserved here. Quick note before we wrap up the discussion of Coming Home. The soundtrack to this movie is amazing. I love it. It has so many great songs from the period, like Bob Dylan, The Stones, The Beatles. It really just, it almost sounds like how Martin Scorsese does Needle Drops now. And Ashby didn't know at the time that these songs were going to be what they are today and totally overplayed, mm-hmm. but they're they're wonderful. I think he uses them almost too much because there's a song like every five minutes in this movie. There's so many and he plays them for their entirety. So we will hear like all four minutes of a Stone song. <laughs> it's just it's clear that he loves he loves his needle drops. But my connection there for all of my fellow Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fans We have another Bruce Dern movie with the out-of-time needle drop by the Rolling Stones. I love that it's used in this movie, but I love its use in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood near the end even more. Yeah, I was just about to say, we didn't talk about the soundtrack. It's iconic. Yeah, it really is. The way that he 
gives purpose to these songs and makes them relevant in light of what's happening in the film, I think is really, really impressive as well. So go watch Coming Home and listen to the soundtrack. Go watch They Shoot Horses, Don't They? This was a great way to start Jane June. So we'll only be doing one Jane June episode on the main show, but let us know what your favorite Jane Fonda movies are, what your favorite performances of hers are. Maybe it's They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Maybe it's Clute. Maybe it's her getting arrested for protesting the climate crisis. Let us know what you think of our dear Jane Fonda. And we will have another Jane June episode on Patreon soon. And we'll be talking about Barbarella and 9 to 5, I think two other iconic performances. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to get into those as well, because I think they're just a showing of who Jane is as an actress in other ways. Absolutely. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be talking about next year's Oscars, sharing our very first very early Oscar predictions in six categories. We'll be talking about picture, director, and all four acting categories. For all of our listeners, please remember, do not take this too seriously. We are just trying to have fun at this stage, and it's mostly just us being excited about what's coming out. Yeah, even if our picks don't come to fruition, which I looked back at our old one, we did okay for being so early again i like don't even want to do this episode because it's like i know not where my mind wants to go especially as summer blockbusters are starting and we haven't even gotten barbie and oppenheimer but yeah it will be fun to talk about some of these roles and performances that we are looking forward to this year and hopefully won't be delayed Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's our little June tradition. I think we always have fun Mm -hmm. on this episode. Again, not looking at these predictions as gospel, but more as just what we could maybe see the Academy doing or what we're just in general excited for. I mean, we don't even know category placements for Mm -hmm. 90% of these people. So it'll be, it'll be a fun time. I'm excited to talk about Maestro (laughs) and another award season for Bradley Cooper. That might not be. We'll see. We did get initial screening reactions. So yeah, we'll definitely be talking Mm -hmm. about that amongst many others. But thank you all for listening. If you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OscarWildPod. And bonus content on Patreon.com slash OscarWild. Thanks everyone for listening. Happy Jane June.